a major work that we did was just to send a team of young people to coach the UPSR students. It's increasingly difficult to find young people who are willing to go inside for one month. Uh, so the last round, we only had two of them going in, uh, really stretched. But we want to thank God. Uh, last year, uh, our work, we have reached a stage where uh, there was 85.6% full passes for UPSR. And for the first time in their history, they got one kid straight A's for UPSR. And I really thank God for all the young people who have been going in. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the work continues to grow and we are faced with new challenges uh, of uh, trying to uh, redeem some of them who have uh, kind of lost out somewhere. And our work has increased now. Not only Long Lamai, we go to another village in Bat Lai, which is a lot more challenging because you have to hike two hours in. There's no river in or <laughs> roads in. And then there's a third village that we hope to open our work next year in Long Lamam. Uh, but we started kindergarten there already. Uh, this morning, I'd like to share with you something on the missional local church. I believe this is something very important for us to think about how we as a church can grow to be more missional. And let's go to God in prayer as we reflect on His word. Father, we want to thank you. Thank you this morning for your many blessings in our midst and so many things we can do, Lord, because we are blessed with plenty. And Father, we want to pray this morning, your spirit speak to our hearts to give us a glimpse, a picture of so many other places that do not enjoy the kind of plenty that we do. And in fact, are crying out to you, Lord, to do a, a, a deeper work in their midst to, to not only bless them, but bless them to be a blessing to others around. So Father, we uh, pray that as we reflect on your word, that Lord, you will speak to our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two uh, parts of uh, this morning's reflection. One has to do with the church and one has to do with missional. And this is the verse that we are looking at, Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I highlighted some words there. Uh, the first two, uh, he said that referring to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And I think we need to recognize as a church, Jesus is our Lord. And of course, the second one uh, said to them, the disciples and by extension, all believers. And I think this has to be said there because if we don't recognize what the church is, then it's very difficult for us to talk about being missional. It doesn't make sense. Right? So that's how we start. And then of course, the other words has to do with being missional, go, which talks about something active and we need to be intentional. It's a command of the Lord to go. Uh, and many of us are very comfortable where we are. Uh, this morning for service, I say we are even comfortable that we must sit at the same seat every Sunday. And it's so difficult to move away from there. <laughs> and you get very upset when somebody will displace us from the seats that we are so comfortable with. And sometimes I think God needs to move us out a little. We don't have to even go too far for that. Uh, but go, be active, intentional about it. Go into all the world, talking about all ethnic groups. All ethnic groups. And no one excluded. And to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. The word for preach there is the idea of uh, heralding the good news. Someone who goes through a, a village and rings the bell and rings the alarm and says, come, 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 I have something, something good to tell you. And that's the picture of uh, biblical preaching, the preaching the good news that's Christocentric and to every creature. Every person is affected. And as every person is reached, it also transforms all of society and all of the environment and all of the, all of the world because we also know from Scripture, all of creation is groaning for the day of redemption because creation is subject to futility because of how we handle it. And that's so important, right? So when we are able to, to uh, uh, fulfill and understand our call as a church, then a lot of things will happen, uh, society will change, culture will change as well. So to start off, we need to recognize the church. We need to revisit again what really is the church of God. And the first thing that we need to recognize about the church of God is the lordship of Christ over the church. If there's no Jesus Christ, there's no reason for the church to exist. Because Jesus Christ built his church. 
And on Jesus Christ, this church will be able to withstand the gates of hell and nothing can come against it. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the church. You see, if we don't recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Master of the church, then whatever he tells us, we will fight against it. But if we recognize he, he owns all rights, he's the Lord, he's the Master of the church, then what he tells the church to be and do, we will obey. And that's why it's easier to be a missional church if we recognize Jesus Christ as Lord of the church. And the second aspect of it, the colory of it, is the submission of the church, the body of Christ, to the head, which is the Christ. So He is the Lord of, of the church, and we, as the body of Christ, are to submit to Him, full submission to Him. These two things are so important in our lives. If we are submitted to the Lordship of Christ and what He says, then whenever He tells us anything, there is no more issue of struggling with Him and wrestling with Him, whether to obey or not to obey. This is the same thing that we, we need to apply in all our relationships, especially at home, as we seek to disciple the next generation after the heart of God. If we teach our children the Lordship of Christ in their lives and total surrender to God and His Word, then whenever they, are in, they have issues in life, and then when we talk with them and say, well, this is what the Word of God says, then there's no more issue, is it? They're surrendered. They're surrendered. They'll just obey. But if that issue is not settled in your family, you're going to have a long, 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 pro prolonged fight with your children whether to move in a certain way after God's heart or not. And that's why it's so important. Total surrender to God, the Lordship of Christ, and the church, which is the body of Christ. And we need to also recognize that, that uh, the church, even though it's supposed to be in this relationship, the Lordship of Christ and submission to, the church, uh, to, to Christ, we also need to recognize that the church is not perfect. And I don't know how many of you feel about uh, what you feel about the church. And some of us are, uh, sometimes feel upset about the church because of the way the church do things or whatever. And this trip, uh, my trip up to Penang, I decided to come on Friday because I, don't, I wanted to visit, visit some people who are kind of casualties of the church system. And they kind of stayed away from the church or they, they're kind of grown cold kind of thing. I want to maintain that relationship and hopefully one day they will come back strong and, and that kind of thing. And sometimes when I look at the state of the church, I shed tears. And you may be upset with the church and you may shed tears for the church, but do be patient because we are told in the Word of God that God is perfecting the bride of Christ to be without spot or wrinkle. Because it's the bride of Christ. And yes, it's not where it's supposed to be and the church with all its faults and weaknesses and whatever, God is doing His work to perfect the bride of Christ. And so you must shed our tears, let's shed uh, not as people without hope, but with hope. Because God is perfecting the church. So we need to recognize that, yeah, there's the Lordship of Christ, submission to Christ, and God is actively at work in perfecting the bride of Christ. And as we understand that, based on what he has said, then we need to recognize this. And John Wesley kind of captures it very clearly. The one and only purpose of the church is to save souls. So John Wesley said, so spend and be spent in the work of saving souls. That's why the church exists. It only exists on this earth. Because that's the, the visible witness of God's kingdom in this world. To bring as many people into a personal relationship with God. To, to have as many people as possible being reconciled to their creator, God. So spend and be spent, not just financially, but our efforts and all that. We will labor for the kingdom of God. That's the purpose why the church exists. And when the end of time comes, when the great marriage supper of the Lamb, the church no longer needs to exist anymore. It's the visible witness of God on this earth. And as we seek to, to, to reach out, as we seek to be missional, we need to be, uh, normally we think about the gospel of salvation, going out to preach the gospel. You know, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. God loves you. And if you open your heart and receive Him, uh, He comes in, you enter in a personal relationship with God. All your sins are forgiven. You're given eternal life. The old has passed away. The new has come. And if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation for those 
one in Christ Jesus. The gospel of salvation. But the gospel is more than the gospel of salvation. It's also about the gospel of the kingdom where it transforms cultures and world systems and societies and all that kind of thing. Europe, Europe used to be predominantly Christian, but not today anymore. But the gospel of salvation has so transformed people and as a result of it, the gospel has also transformed cultures that the core value of culture is still values of the kingdom of God. So some of you have visited Europe in different places. Uh, I had an opportunity to go to Switzerland for a conference less about more than 10 years ago. Uh, I went there and we were walking on a sidewalk and you know, you see these fruits on sale and they put how much per kg or whatever, and there's a weighing machine there. So you want to buy, you pick the fruits, put on a weighing machine, and you calculate how much you're supposed to pay and take the money and drop in the money box there. Nobody is on guard there. It's based on a system of honesty and trust. That's the core value of the kingdom of God. Truthfulness, doing what is right, righteousness and all that kind of thing. And I was telling some of my friends that if this is Malaysia, all the fruits will be gone. The money box will be gone. Even the weighing machine will be gone. <laughs> because Malaysian culture is not really transformed to that extent yet. The gospel of the kingdom has not changed the core values of what's happening in Malaysia. I mean, think about it, the way we drive on the road and how we shoot red lights. Near the place where I live, as you are going out, there's a traffic light there. Out of 10 cars, 9 cars will not stop on a red light. That's our culture. That's part of the Kavali, our culture. It's not transformed yet. And there's so much the church in Malaysia has to do. And we need to recognize part of the work of the church is to transform culture and society. And one of the words I use in the title, the missional local church, I put the word local there because it's so important for us to think about local, not just church, but the church that knows how to be a local church will be most effective in growing a local church on the mission field. Because you know what it is like, Trinity Penang should know what it is like to be a church in the context of Penang or in the context of predominantly Hokkien-speaking society. That's important. On one of our early trips to Long Lamai, we, stay overnight, we stayed overnight in Miri, and one of those early trips, we were hosted by an Iban uh, family. Nice big house, and we were going in, and uh, in Long Lamai, you don't have that plenty, but we were treated to a big feast or dinner. <laughs> and this is bad for preparation to go into Long Lamai. But anyway, we were talking about the history of Christianity in Sarawak. The Ebans have the longest, I mean, among, among the tribal groups, they have the longest history of Christianity. And this is what this Iban church leader told me. He said, even though we have the longest history of Christianity in Sarawak, yet the other tribes are ahead of us. The Lumbawangs are ahead of us. The Kalabis are ahead of us. Even the Penans somehow are ahead of them. Why? Because the early missionaries came and in their attempt to be relevant, did not go far enough with the gospel of transformation. And they allowed them, and basically the Ibans came out believing it's okay to be a Christian and to be drunk at the same time. So in the Iban churches, an average Iban church, after worship service, the pastors and the church leaders and the deacons and all that will be gathered and they'll be drinking themselves drunk after church service. And that's acceptable in the culture. The early missionaries did not go far enough with the gospel of transformation. So, yeah, relevance, but there must be limits to that. There must be limits. Of course, you could swing to the other extreme, and, uh, and if the early missionaries came, uh, and they don't care about being relevant, then all they do will be to multiply a Molang church in Penang or in Malaysia. And if we are not careful going to the Penang village, we will just multiply the kind of track middle to upper class churches there in the jungles. And some of our young people have not been careful about that. They took what is part of our culture and went inside and one of them exposed the Penang kids to K-pop culture. And after that trip, a lot of the young people in Long Lamai 
wanted, especially the girls, wanted to make up and dress up like the K-pop stars they saw on the, on the social media kind of thing. We have to be careful. We need to be relevant, but also relevance within our limits. So it's important for us to recognize what does it mean to be a local church here at Trinity Methodist Church, Penang? What does it mean to be relevant to Penang here? And look at it, and that will help us to be more sensitive when we go to a, a mission field that we will seek also to be relevant to them. We will ask the question like we asked last year, what does it mean to be a Penan Christian in the jungle? What does it mean to live as a Christian in the jungle? Not what does it mean to live as a middle to upper class Christian like here. What does it mean to live as a Christian in the jungle? We have to teach them about following Jesus Christ. When we talk about following Jesus Christ, what do we talk about? What do we think about? We think about Bible study, prayer, and all that kind of thing. We can't tell the penance, every day you go back, every day you must read the Bible. Sounds strange to you. Well, we can't tell them that. You know why? A majority of them are illiterate. So how to read the Bible? They can't. And that's why in the Penang culture, there are four services a week. Wednesday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. They come four times a week to hear. They need to hear the Word of God. Here, if we have four services a week, I don't know how many of you will come to church. Because you say, I, I can stay at home and read the Bible before I come to church to hear the Word of God. So one, one time a week, enough already. <laughs> but for them, it's so important to hear the Word of God. Otherwise, they're not going to read. They can't read the Word of God. So that's part of relevance. How do you follow after Jesus Christ? You talk about being faithful, spiritual disciplines. You talk about following. You've you got to get into their culture, be relevant to them, and talk about what it means to follow after Christ. So being the church... I think that's very foundational to being missional. If you are settled with what the church of God is, the Lordship of Christ and in submission to Him, and what it means to be relevant, a local expression of the church of God in society and culture, then we can talk about being missional. And if you're going to talk about being a missional church, there are three uh, components to it. One is the missional life, the second is the missional family, and third is the missional work. Three areas. starts with us as an individual, our family, and then our work. Let's look at the first one, the missional life. We need to develop ourselves and grow to have a missional life. And that's a life lived towards the larger purposes of God's kingdom and His glory. We all want to be successful in life. We all want to be a good person. But that's not enough. It falls far short of the vision that God has. Because we are supposed to reach our fullness as a human being, in order to fulfill the purposes of the kingdom of God and His glory. One of the things that's important in my life as I seek God and God's destiny for my life uh, is expressed out in my personal mission statement. My personal mission in life summarized will be these three short phrases. To love, to empower. Loving people to empower them through love relationships. To teach as a reformer. I want to see change in their lives. And then to build for, for the Creator. That I want to build people for the ideals of the kingdom of God. That's my personal mission in life. And that's why I'm involved with Long Lamai and the Penance, for example, because I want to see their lives change. I want to get down to the level of their life. I want to gain an entry into their hearts. And last year, I, after... 10 plus years of going to Long Lamai and always wondering why is it the late teenagers and the early, those in their early 20s always try to avoid us. It's so difficult to connect with them. You know, you see them from a distance and then they'll just <laughs> siam kind of thing, move, and move to the side kind of thing. Uh, and I'm increasingly finding out they, they don't want to meet us face to face because some of them malu. We've gone in to help them in their studies and then they fail, they drop out of school. Or, <coughs> some of them feel, I mean, some of the adults have told the, some of the young people, and two of them have become my Anna Angkat kind of thing. Uh, not exactly mainstream, but kind of part of the marginalized group uh, in, in society. And, and uh, some adults have told them, you're not supposed to mix with these people from Semenanjung. 
they did that sama taraf. They cried. They cried. And I had to challenge them. I said, do I look down on you? He said, no. Do I love you? Said, yeah. Do I love you without condition? Say yeah. Do I ever measure you by what you do or what you can achieve? Say, no. Do you know I love you? He said, yes. Do you know why I love you? Say, I love you because God loves you. And they know. When they tell me what they hear from these adults, the tears in their eyes. It's like, why are my own people not, you know, not helping? And, and they've largely been staying in the margins and avoiding us. And last year's trip, uh, one was my anangkat sent me a photo. Four of them. I look at the photo. He was one of those in the photo. There are three other faces I don't recognize. So last trip, last year I went in. Uh, who are these three persons? I wanted to get to know them. So he brought them. And initially they were very cautious. But in a matter of three, four days, God's grace enabled us to build a relationship. And their hearts became open to me. And I could speak into their hearts. It's so important for us to be able to speak into the hearts of people because, you know, there are things that, that you want to say about God's heart to them and they need to be open. And if their hearts are open to you, you can scold them. It's okay. They know you love them. So God opened their hearts, three of them. And the last night, we were seated on a hanging bridge watching the stars and, and one of them created a WhatsApp group in Penan and said, uh, malam yang indah, malam terakhir yang indah, kind of thing. And, and now, with this new fellas, almost every day they are WhatsApping me. Uh, initially, very cautious, then started coming, uncle, uncle, uncle. Now, WhatsApp, hi, bro. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to my next trip in because now the door to their heart is completely open for me to minister deep down into their hearts. That's me attempting to live a missional life because. In track, my living a missional life largely is among the young people, the youth. Those from Jeremiah School especially where, you know, there's an extended time of six weeks mentoring them, that kind of thing, build very close relationships with many of them. Uh, a lot of them, their hearts are open and uh, they extend their hearts are open. That's the extent that I can speak into their hearts. Some of them, uh, one of them, during Jeremiah's school, I asked to send a SMS to the father and stood at the corner there, tears coming down. Said, What's happening? Said, I don't know where's my father. I don't know where's my father. Later I found out father has left the family, started another new family, took photos with the new family, post on Facebook, but will not take photos with the original family, uh, that kind of thing. And pain. And by the end of that Jeremiah school, I came up to him. If you're open to it, I'll be your godfather. Tears down his eyes. And God opened a door for me to be that father figure uh, in his life. That's part of me trying to be missional. Right? Reaching out to people out there. And a lot of Penang kids are fatherless. Fathers have left them. I need to be there. So I got two anak angkat to the penance already. Uh, I think more will be coming. <laughs> Trying to be missional. Building bridges with the marginalized. We need to learn to build bridges with the marginalized. Because they are the ones who will probably try to avoid you or even avoid church or whatever. I still remember in the 80s when I was here uh, working with the USM students and I was here at Trinity, and that's not the first time I was Trinity, by the way. Uh, I was born in Penang, actually, and this is where I grew up in the Sunday school here. And my Sunday school teacher, I can remember people like Mr. Kugim Tate, Mrs. Ayaturai, and all that. And I think some of you uh, remember those people. Uh, your dad was the Sunday school superintendent. Uh, I remember one Sunday after service, there was an old, dirty Indian beggar, hair long, caked in some places, Close, dirty, smelly, came to church outside there. I was shocked because I was raised in a track church, mostly middle to upper class kind of culture. And I can see the faces of a lot of adults. They were shocked. We were all shocked. 
Because in our system, we don't know what to do with this marginalized Indian beggar. And the next thing, one of our USM students talked to the beggar, took him pillion rider on his motorcycle. Can you imagine dirty beggar holding on behind you on a motorbike? Took him pillion rider on a motorcycle out for lunch. That is what we mean by building bridges with the marginalized. And lots of the kingdom of God can be done as a result of that. By the way, that student said when he was a USM student, I will never become a pastor. Today he is a pastor with the SCAC church. <laughs> Be careful with what you say to God. So building bridges and marginalized. We need to cultivate a missional life. Secondly, we need to cultivate missional families. It's good. All of us desire to have kids that are successful in life and society and all that, to have a good kid, obedient kids or whatever. But you see, if our goal is merely to have good kids, we fall far short of what God is calling us to be and do. It's a good thing to have a good kid, but it is very short-sighted because God is calling us to raise the next generation so that they can fulfill the purposes of God and His kingdom. Because the missional family is a family intent on generational discipleship for the nations. Generation after generation being disciple, uh, right in Genesis we're told to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, which carries the connotation of consecrating the world. And I was trying to impress that on the penance in Long Lamai about consecrating the world because, uh, you know, we talk about your environment, how to mengkuduskan dunia. And last year when we were in there, there was a major, major, major event. A lot of government departments are going in. The bomba was going in, teaching them how to use fire extinguisher because their wooden houses get burned down very fast and easy. Uh, all sorts of things are going on. Well, partly because elections was coming out. <laughs> so they were there. So many people and the NGOs were there. The Bruno Menser Foundation people were there as well. And those of you who are familiar with Bruno Menser Foundation, they are fighting for the penans and for their land rights. So they have to cook for everybody. They can find rice, enough food, but not enough plates. So what do they do? They brought in styrofoam boxes. We don't use styrofoam boxes here anymore. Styrofoam boxes so that they can pack for everyone to eat, kind of thing. So that was all happening my first week there. Then I came out for a track annual conference and then I went in again the second week with another team of people. And as I was traveling down the last leg of the journey down the river, I always enjoyed that ride because it's so beautiful and something in my heart usually would naturally cry out, Father, I'm home. And it's, it's like I feel home right now in the midst of creation that uh, declares the glory of God. And as I, as I come down the river, or as I go up the river rather, and then in the distance I see one patch of white. And as I pass by, a whole bunch of styrofoam boxes floating in the river, trapped in one some corner of the river. And you go further, another patch of white, and another patch of white, another patch of white. I was so grieved. <laughs> and I decided that night when I preached, I challenge the pronunciation. God calls us to consecrate the world. Mengkuduskan dunia. Apa yang saya lihat dalam perjalanan di sungai itu bukan mengkuduskan dunia, itu mencemarkan dunia. They are polluting the environment which God has called us to consecrate. And after the service, the village headman straight away mobilized the young people to clean up everything. I said, this is not reflective of who God is. And we need to train, we need to equip generations for the call of God. We need to disciple them and prepare them for the purposes of the kingdom of God. Both Ling Ming and I have been preparing our children. We've been preparing our daughter, for example, she's going to graduate next year in May and she's going to teach in Methodist College in KL. We've been preparing her for the kingdom of God, not for our own ambitions, I still remember when she finished her SPM, she got good results, and uh, the grandmother in Sitiawan told her, oh, you got good results, you can study, be a doctor, earn a lot of money. <laughs> Most of us Chinese would love to have our children become doctors, earn a lot of money. 
She came back and said, Amma say, you know, you must earn a lot of money. Go, go be a doctor, earn a lot of money. I said, it's not for Amma to tell you what you should do. And I said, it's not even for Daddy or Mommy to tell you what you should do. You need to learn to seek God and ask God, what does God want you to do? And she sought the Lord. And for, I think, a couple of years, she wrestled with God in prayer. And basically, her prayer was, God, what do you want me to do? Anything except teaching. And God said, teaching. <laughs> That's why she's going to teach at MCKL. I'm discipling my daughter for the kingdom of God. She must obey and she must have a primary allegiance to God, not to me or to Ling Ming. She must learn to obey God. Some people say, oh, your daughter is well trained. Okay, you can relax. No, no, I'm not taking any chances. Because anything can happen to her. She, will, she may have her prodigal moments, you know. But you see, I am comforted in my heart because I know my daughter may stray away from God one day. But you know what? We have trained her enough. She knows how to come back to the heart of the Heavenly Father herself. That's my comfort. And we need to train our children so that they know how to move on in the kingdom of God. And even if they go astray, they know how to come back to the heart of the Father themselves. Because we can't police them for their whole life. They need to know how to come in the heart of the Father. Now, our big struggle is with our son, 14 years old. Even though he's very good with the, with the PA system, he's the youngest PA controller in our church, 14 years old. Uh, 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 a music and worship chairman who had the vision picked him up and trained him because he was very interested in wires and the sound system. From very young, he loved that. When he was uh, three years old, four years old, we would go to a shopping mall and we walk around and then he comes to this section where all the extension cords are hanging. He goes crazy. Mommy, 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 look, 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 extension cords. He's so excited. But then I came five years old, six years old, friend asked me, Herbert, your son's birthday, what, what birthday gift to get him? I said, get him extension cord. So he bought that, that one, the round one, you know, he pulled out and he can wind back for birthday. He was so excited. That was the best birthday gift he had ever received after that point. When he was older a bit, I bought him an extension card with eight sockets. Each socket, different color. He loved that. He loved that. Then one day, mommy borrowed. Asked him, can borrow, can borrow, plug in, vacuum cleaner. Zoo, 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 zoo. After that, the power too strong, the thing started melting. He cried like crazy. <laughs> but that's what God has put in his life and he's become very interested in PA sound system. Now at 14 years old, he's got a business plan how to use PA for ministry. And for two rounds already, the church at Emmanuel Methodist Church asked him to take charge of setting up the sound system for church camp. He's got a bunch of adults reporting to him. And now, my living room is all cluttered with all his big speakers and these mixers and that amplifier and whatever. He's doing business for ministry, but I keep talking to him. You know why you're so good in wires and electrical systems and all that. Uh, he, he reads, by the way, he's in uh, equivalent of Form 3. He reads Form 5 physics books on electricity. He has taken an interest in that. I said, you know why God has gifted you in this area? And we talk about it. God gifted you in this area because He wants you to use your gifting for His kingdom, for missions. So last year, we went to Long Lamai, He wired up a whole house the pastor's house. Every room with lights and switches and sockets and all that. This year, he's going to go in and wire up a second house. That's God has gifted him. And we're telling him, God has gifted you, not just for yourself, but for the kingdom of God. You've got to be thinking about that. And we need to raise a family that think missions because we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for the kingdom of God. And we need to send generations into the harvest field. We need to go as a family into the harvest field. Go as a family because then as a family, you begin to learn how to be a missional family on the mission field itself. And not only that, uh, the Penans, when they saw us going as a, as a family, that's the first time they are seeing a missionary family, for example, how they live, how a father 
communicates with the son and how we disciple our children right there on the mission field. They see how husband and wife are communicating with each other and relating to each other. That's powerful teaching on the mission field. Otherwise, all they hear are words. Now they're going to see a concrete example of what we say in words. Go as a family in the mission field. Thirdly, missional work. A worker as salt and light in the workplace. I put that within inverted commas. Uh, if in a um, corporate sector, that's your work. If you are a student, that's your work. Right? Being salt and light wherever it is, in your own context, in the office or in the school or whatever, that we will influence society so much, we will influence our context so much, that the core values of the kingdom of God transforms the cultures around us. Just because you are there, certain things will not happen because they recognize you are a, you are a believer. And, and we want to influence that. We want to go with what we have, what God has gifted. I mean, people ask me, uh, uh, Uncle Herbert, what do we do when we go on a trip to Long Laman? I say, I can't tell you now. I want to see first who is going. And when I find out who is going, then I look at what are their giftings and how God has gifted them and what are their trainings, how God has trained them. Based on that, then we design for that year what we do. Like end of this year, we already got four persons signed up for the November trip. Two of them medical doctors, two of them dental doctors. And this is the first time we're going to open a dental clinic in Long Lamai for the trip they were in there. So we look at what God has gifted. So if God has gifted you in that area of work, that's what we'll do. One time we got the, uh, one guy who's a king scout of the sea scout division. He was already 80 years old. He wanted to go in Long Lama. I said, sure, come. <laughs> Went in. He wondering what he can do. I said, please teach them how to tie good knots because when the, when the river currents are strong, the boats get floated away. Teach them how to tie good strong knots. He taught them how to tie strong knots. He went in a second time. This time, I didn't have to tell him what. He said, he said, I think this time I go in, I'm going to teach them how to use ropes to weave a belt. Hmm, good. They don't have to buy belts. They can, they can make ropes out of the tree bark inside there and weave it into a belt kind of thing. He also asked me one question. once: should I teach the Penang kids how to swim? I said, no need to teach them how to swim. They are better swimmers than us. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, with what God has gifted you, you go in. One lady who's retired already wanted to go in and say, what are your giftings? He said, I do floral arrangement for the church. Good. And they go in, train the penance how to arrange flowers for the church. And she went in, I tell you, she was so gifted. You know, everything that you throw away on the ground, even a, 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 a discarded branch that's dried up, thin thing, she arranged and it becomes a very beautiful thing inside and she trained the penance how to do floral arrangement. One time she, she actually also got some uh, artificial flowers to send in. <laughs> Two bouquets she had arranged and I'm cracking my head how to bring a whole bouquet of flowers that this big into Long Lamai. You know, and then how we do it? We bought Tong Sampah. The big dustbin and put the whole bouquet inside and close it and carry two tong sampas inside, uh, two bouquets of, of flowers. So we see what you can do. And then based on that, what God has gifted you in your work or whatever, and you do that. Not only that, uh, whatever God has gifted you, one of them that goes in is a lawyer. And he's exercising his right as a believer to influence around him assault and light in society. So he has a law firm in PJ where he, when there's a quarrel or there's someone wants to sue someone else because of a broken relationship, his primary goal is not to proceed with a court case because he can earn a lot of money from that. His primary goal is reconciliation. He will attempt to bring about reconciliation. He will just suggest, don't proceed with suing the person. Sort it out. Even those who come to him and want him to process a divorce case, he will purposely set a rate higher than normal to deter them and make them think a bit more before they just jump into divorce or something like that. He is promoting reconciliation legal work. Then he goes into Long Lamai. He brings it with him. He's trying to uh, champion human rights 
with the natives and all that. He's into land rights. And those of you who have been following the news in Sarawak, the state assembly in Sarawak have already passed a law to, to, to cancel a lot of this native customary land rights kind of thing. To, uh, and it's really a setback for all that Baru Bian and the others are, uh, are doing in terms of fighting for the land rights of the natives. So here's an example of a lawyer being sought and lied. And of course, we go in, we want to empower the marginalized for the future. We have worked with Long Lamai, we have gone to Bat Lai now, kindergarten work and all that. Uh, we are also uh, next year starting work in Long Lamam as well. Why we want to empower them for the future? Because the kids are dropping out of school too much. Because now I have to deal with two cases. Last year I went in, one of the four in the picture, uh, one of them uh, that managed to get an entry in this heart. Form one drop out because <laughs> they get made fun of, bullied or whatever, non-confrontative, they back up from it, drop out of school. Form one, and I asked him, he's still very young, I said, so what's your ambition in life now that you drop out of school? You know what I said? I want to be a teacher. I don't know about you, but for me, it's like I'm scratching my head. Form one, drop out. Now, what's the path to become a teacher? Not a lot of alternatives for that. And I'm still thinking through, thinking through. The only one I can think about is maybe bring him out, give him a music education and become a music teacher, something like that. Uh, another one, SPM, year, got kicked out of school because someone made fun of him, punched the fellow up. Then got kicked out. Then he was waiting for the education department to send him a letter so he could continue, finish up his SPM. Letter never came. Now past one year, the missions chairperson from my church found out about it. It's such a waste. So I asked him, so do you want to finish your SPM? He said, yes, he wants to finish his SPM. So we're thinking, get him to register as a private candidate. Not over here, but over in Marudi in Sarawak. Because over here, he won't be able to compete with our fellas. Register there, then I said, you have to study very hard, prepare, because you can't go to school. Then he asked me, can you help me? And I'm scratching my head. <laughs> I'm over here, he's over there. I said, it will mean you have to come over to West Malaysia. And missions chairperson said, we can arrange for him to take special classes and that kind of thing. And some of the church people can help coach him in his studies and get him through SPM. So I'm already talking to my family, if he's going to come to stay with us, how are we going to deal with it, and all sorts of things. But this is an example of uh, involving people who are in the field of education and all that, trying to see how they can be sought and light in this boy's life. And there are many more, there are many more. But where God has placed you and where God has called you and gifted you and trained you, how can you use that to be sought and light in society? We need to grow as a missional church. And in growing as a missional church, we need to grow from a same culture kind of thing to a near culture to cross culture. So for many of us, uh, reaching out and doing missions with same culture is relatively easy. Maybe you reach to some other parts in Penang or maybe you want to go Ipoh and do some mission work. I don't know. Uh, going to Ipoh for some mission work for me will be uh, near culture, not same culture, because I'm terrified of Cantonese-speaking people. Reason why I'm terrified of Cantonese-speaking people, because when I was very young, uh, I had uh, neighbors and friends that tell me, hey, Herbert, you better learn Cantonese, you don't learn Cantonese, the Cantonese are going to look down on you. So I was very terrified of Cantonese language. And I never picked that up. Even when I went to school in KL and PJ, I never picked up Cantonese language, because everywhere I went, the food stores, I found out they were all from Penang, all can talk Hokkien. So I use Hokkien to order my food. <laughs> I can survive with Hokkien. You know? But that will be something near culture for me, perhaps. Right? For some of you, it's still same culture. And maybe cross-culture will be something like Penans or Senois or, or the Ibans in Lobo Antu or something like that. That will be cross-culture. Right? But some is really, really, really cross-culture. So in uh, missions uh, study, missiology, we use the term M1, M2, M3. M1 for same culture, M2 for near culture, and M3 for cross culture. So my work with the Penans is M3. M3, because it's a different culture. 
Of course, now I'm learning the culture so much, it's no more exactly an M3 kind of thing. It's more of M2 now because I can fit into that culture. Not too bad. But you know, there are still nomadic penans in Sarawak, roaming the jungles and wearing jawat loincloth kind of thing. And I cannot go in there. I was told if I go in there, I'll probably be dead because of a dart from their blowpipes. <laughs> because their own people that go in, they will also have to change their clothes and wear traditional loincloth. Go in. The moment they meet this nomadic penance, they have to quickly sit down. And they start talking and talking about the names of their ancestors and how many generations. And finally, they come to a name they can recognize. Ah, this is one of our own people. Then they welcome them. They allow them to speak. That kind of thing. You see, going to Long Lamai, the penance is M3 for many of us. For them to go to the nomadic penance is somewhere between M1 and M2. For us to go into the nomadic penance, maybe M4, if there's such a category. Really, really, really different, and we may not even survive that. But because we do M3, we are empowering the penance to be able to do M1 and 2. They are the best people to reach their own kind in the, among the nomadic penance. And so we need to be looking at all these kind of things, and that's why I'm focusing a lot of my efforts on Long Lamai, because it's like the center of the penance world. Bible translation, everything centered there, uh, culture, language-wise, and all that. And we are starting training programs for, uh, for uh, Penan ministry. Now it's a one-month program. We train them to do basic ministry. Because there are a lot of villages without pastors. The pastor in Long Lamai has to take care of 10 villages. Not only that, now we find out that there are many Penan churches in Sarawak where there was a pastor, but now no more pastor because the pastor cannot survive. No money to pay the pastor. They've dropped out. And they're telling me the plight of the pastors and all this. Then I suggest to them, you know, we don't want to disturb the denominational setup and we don't want it to be a threat to them. I say, would you all consider, since these pastors originate from Long Lamai, would you consider setting up a ministry, Pelayanan Kebajikan Pastor Penan? that you look after the welfare of the Penan pastors that you produce from your village. And if you are prepared to do that, I say, I will help you to raise the funds for it. For every Penan pastor, every month, just 500 ringgit for them to survive. And then identify about seven pastors already that will need that help. So that we can put them back into ministry again and pastor the churches that so desperately need spiritual leadership. Next year, we're going to start that. So we need to grow as a missional church, looking into how we can invest our time, our effort going in, our finances, and our prayers. I think just now, one of the songs we sang, right? Ask of me, based on a verse from Psalm, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as an inheritance. We can pray nations, whole nations, whole cultures into the kingdom of God. That's a very powerful area of missions on our knees. So the challenge for us as a church, being missional is not an option. If you read Mark chapter 16, verse 15 carefully, it's printed on the front of your bulletin. Look at it. Go. It's a command. It's not an option. And the church of God must recognize that it is a command. It is not an option. Trinity Methodist Church Penang must recognize it is a command. It is not an option. It is not an option for any one of us, whatever our age, to be part and parcel of growing as a missional church. Remember those who have gone before. The missionaries who came Perhaps that's the reason why we are here today. Remember some of the missionaries from overseas that came and John Sung, you probably heard of that name, John Sung, the Chinese evangelist that came around. Both, both sets of my grandparents were products of their ministry. And some of us have received that spiritual heritage because of someone like John Sung. Maybe not directly receive it, but you know how many generations down to us. Remember missionaries like William Carey, the father of modern missions that went to India. 
or the Apostle Thomas who went to India. Uh, and you have a whole denomination named under him, the Ma Toma Syrian Orthodox Church. Remember missionaries like Adoniran Judson that went to Burma and labored for years. I think it was after seven years or nine years that he began to see the first follower of Jesus Christ and single-handedly translated the Burmese Bible. I remember the Australian single women missionaries, single women who went into the jungles of Sarawak to reach the Penans. And how whole cultures were transformed. I mean, the Penan women were giving birth to babies from a platform, you know, let the baby be born out of the edge of the platform, drop down and pull the placenta out, and that's how the babies were born, and there was a high casualty rate, and these Australian missionaries taught them how to give birth a different way and lowered the mortality rate among the babies. Single-handedly translated the Penan New Testament. All these people with their church behind them as a missional church, they lift out. They lift out and this is you like the extreme case of being a missionary in the mission field. We are called to be a missional, missional church, to live missional lives, to grow missional families, and to be a missional church to support the growing work of God's kingdom in this world. We must never be satisfied where we are. We need to move forward. Let's pray. Let's look to God. Father, you have commanded us to go. You have given us so many examples ahead of us. Will we follow in their footsteps, Lord? And we ask, Lord, many of us have many reasons why it's difficult for us to move forward in this area. But Lord, we pray your spirit will convince us that you'll grant us all that we need, boldness, strength, resources in order to move forward and to grow as a missional church, a church after your heart, Lord. So help us, Lord. Help Trinity Methodist Church Penang to be truly a missional church in all its meaning and realities. And we thank you for your spirit that continues to work in our midst. We thank you that you're, continue to you're continuing to perfect the church, the bride of Christ, to be without spot, or wrinkle. We praise you. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's be standing even as we have heard the call coming from the Lord and the word of God being preached, a challenge coming to us.